Hi, this is Maureen Milliken. And this is Rebecca Milliken, and this is Crime and Stuff. The podcast. You would do if you had nothing better to do. And we're back after like two months. Was it? Yeah. It's yeah. been a long time. Yeah. Yeah. And it we're back maybe a week later than we were going to be, but circumstances intervened. Yes. I'd like to blame always. Hurricane Ian, but since we're in Maine, it had nothing to do with it. <laughs> We wanted to hold off a week so our Florida listeners would be able yeah. to hear. But we should probably just get right into it, right? Well, yes. Yeah. Are you going to talk about your trip at all or no? No. You had a good time? I, okay. Yeah, it was fine. I really can't tonight. I'm just, okay. I'm just not with but it. But I will tell our listeners that while you were gone, both my parents and my daughter all had COVID. Well, when I came back, I had it. Yay! Because we we went, Liz and I went for a month to the land of nobody wearing masks or social distancing, even way more than they don't do it here. Wow. So I have a couple updates before I get to the story. Okay. Okay. okay first, an update on Jill Sidebotham and Lydia Hansen. Oh, yeah. If you remember, Jill Sidebotham and her daughter, Lydia Hansen, too, abruptly left their home in Springvale in southern Maine with Lydia's unstable father, Nick Hansen. On June 28th, they were spotted in a couple places in northwestern Maine, lastly at a Walmart in Mexico, Maine on July 2nd. Jill had plans with her son by another father, as well as her boyfriend for Fourth of July weekend. She hadn't told anyone she was going anywhere. And by Wednesday, July 2nd, her phone had died and people were very concerned. That was the last sighting or last anyone heard from her until September 6th. And if you want to hear, listen to that episode to hear more, that was episode 127. But on September 6th, the Sanford Maine Police Department, Springvale, where she lived as a village of Sanford, released this. The Sanford Police Department, in collaboration with several municipal, state, and federal law enforcement agencies, has investigated the departure of Nicholas Hansen, Jill Sidebotham, and Lydia Hansen from the Springvale area on June 28th, 2022. The effort included digital investigations, area canvassing by land and air, and a thorough media, social media information campaign conducted extensively by the National Center for Missing and Endangered Children. On 9-6-2022, contact was made with each party. Detectives spoke with all parties via phone and video chat. The Sanford Police Department can report that each party is unharmed and safe and no evidence of criminal behavior has been observed. We also have verification that they were safe from local Mm. law enforcement who met with them in person. (laughs) The way they have that written is, we also have verification that they were safe from local law enforcement. I know, I know, that's what I was just like. I don't think they were in any danger from local law enforcement, though you never know. Local law enforcement verified they were safe. Local law enforcement met with them in person. At the involved party's request, no information as to their location or motive for departing the Springvale area will be disclosed. Mm-hmm. And, and a press statement. So there were some nasty comments on the Facebook post about the waste of resources. Mm. But I say, even if Jill's departure was above board, which I still don't think it is, it's better to quote unquote waste resources than to ignore a missing person and child. Exactly. That said, I see nothing in the news release that tells me she left by her own will or everything is okay. They said that that there's no criminal involvement and all parties assured them everything was okay. But as we know, police can only do so much. And if a coercive controller is in charge, then who knows what the real story is. Uh 
Her departure was suspicious and out of character and still is. The Facebook page missing Lydia and Jeff Hansen and Jill Sidebotham, which is private, but I joined back in August or July, seems to no longer exist. There's another private one with a similar name without Jeff Hansen's name in it that I haven't joined. So I'm not sure what people are saying. It'll all be speculation anyway. I'm guessing her family has been told more than the police released publicly, but I'm also guessing they're also not satisfied with the development. Mm. And we'll see what happens. I just can't imagine she will. There's something fishy. Yeah, she didn't willingly go. We'll see. I don't think it's very, it's just weird. Right. It wasn't like she was having problems at home. And it's not like she was in love with this guy or no, even had like, a good relationship. She, he had a history of violence with her and she was afraid of him. So many times you hear when someone's in that kind of a relationship, actually the one I'm going to NNW, I'll talk about it too. Someone who's a coercive controller, the police for some reason believe them. They don't get the other person away. Like, I'd like to know, did they talk to her away from him? Right. But also was he standing right there when they talked to her and asked her right. if she's okay. Right. But also, even if they think something's fishy, these are adults and there's only so much they can do. And I'm not saying that's right. Our laws don't allow them to intervene. If she says I'm OK and the kid's OK because she's afraid of the, him. I know. Even if they separated her. And she's afraid of him. That's true. Yeah, no, it happens all the time. Okay. Right, okay. My next update is for episode 123, Sophie Sergey's Long Road to Justice. Stephen Downs, convicted in February of raping and murdering Sophie Sergey at the University of Alaska Fairbanks in 1993, was sentenced on September 26 to 75 years in prison. Yeah. His attorney said they'll appeal any sentence for Downs, 48 of more than 20 years would be a death sentence, his attorney yeah. said, since Downs weighs more than 400 pounds, mm-hmm. although you would think he would have lost some weight in prison. They don't seem to. I think they have a lot of starchy food. Yeah, but even so, it's not like you're sitting there eating a gallon of Gifford's ice cream every but night. It, yeah, but you're also sitting there all yeah, day that's long. True. Um, he also has high blood pressure, his attorney said. He'll be eligible for discretionary parole in 25 years, but still, he's 48 and he weighs 400 pounds. So just an aside. Oh, I already I already said that. I was going to say, how does he not lose weight? <laughs> I, I said, I know the food is starchy, but it seems it'll be limited. But now we don't have Didn't, to say that. And I just said that was starchy. Didn't you say once, though, that if you were in, if you were in prison, you'd finish your book. <laughs> you'd have time to work yeah. on it. <laughs> yeah. Right. Because all my meals and housing and everything would be taken care of. And all I'd have to do is sit there and write my book. I wouldn't have to make a living and do all this other shit. Hmm. Anyway, for more details, listen to episode 123. And then I have tonight's episode. Yay. Sources for this episode are a bunch of Irish newspapers that I name (laughs) as I go through, as well as New York Times. Okay. My sister Liz and I had just started on an extended visit to Ireland and the UK. It was Sunday morning, August 21st, and we were getting ready to head out on a hop-on-hop-off bus tour of several historic sites around Killarney in County Kerry, where we were staying for a couple nights in Southwest Ireland. Our landlady at the bed and breakfast where we were staying said, well, we have a very sad funeral in Killarney today. And by the way, Every quote in this is somebody with an Irish accent, but I can't do an Irish accent, so you'll just have to imagine it. Okay. 
When we express interest, she said, Miriam Burns, she was murdered by her son. Burns, 75, was killed the previous weekend. Her body was found in her house at Ardshanavuli Estates on Monday, August 15th. She died from blunt force trauma. Our landlady, Mary, told us Miriam was a longtime respected member of the community, a grandmother who was much loved. Her son apparently was trouble. Mary Mm -hmm. said he'd been arrested farther north in recent days on some other charge, but they hadn't charged him with the murder yet. Still, it was no secret he'd done it. Everybody in Killarney seemed to know all about it. Mm. That was despite the fact that there weren't many details about him in the papers. Our landlady, like I said, knew all about him. His drug problems, the fact he caused his family all sorts of problems, that he frequently demanded money from Miriam. Mm -hmm. Everyone Mm -hmm. in town knew. They have extension privacy restrictions in the press in Ireland and the UK, but so much for those when everybody knows what's going on. Late that afternoon, as we were sitting in the top deck of the bus, returning from our really nice day of seeing different sights, we saw a long line snaking out of a church around the block. The funeral, I said to Liz. Yeah. And I took a picture, which I put on our Instagram. Oh. What? You act like you didn't see it. Did I like it? <laughs> I don't know if you did or not. <laughs> It turns out that they actually had to delay the time of the funeral because so many people came to the viewing beforehand at St. Mary's Cathedral in Killarney. The two hours they'd allotted for the viewing weren't enough. Can I ask you how big is Killarney? Is it a big town? Mm, I knew you were going to ask, and I can't remember. It's It was loaded with tourists when we were there. I think it's a town of about 15,000 people, but its main produce is tourism. Miriam Burns' murder was the first... Irish murder during our trip that made news, but not the last. Ireland, as many people are aware, is a beautiful country with a rich history, much of which involves oppression and conflict. It also has a history of misogyny and sexism. Not that it's alone in that, but every country is misogynistic and sexist in its own way. (laughs) In Ireland, much of it is tied to the centuries of influence by the Catholic Church, Mm -hmm. but it also all comes down to acceptance and normalization of misogyny, which, among many other things, leads to a disproportionate number of women being attacked and murdered. And it's funny, too, because Ireland is a country with a history of very strong women But, for instance, there were a lot of women who were instrumental in the um, 1916 Easter uprising and everything, but all the monuments and stuff are to the men involved, Mm. not the women. Yeah. But anyway, let's look at some of what's happened in Ireland in 2022. On Wednesday, January 12th, 2022, school teacher Ashling Murphy was on a run on a canal path in the town of Tullamore in County Offaly, at about 4 p.m. And also, forgive me if I pronounce things wrong. I'm going to do that throughout this episode. It's a like language, a true American. Like a true American. Well, it's a language where things don't sound the way they're spelled. I apologize. I'm not. I don't mean any disrespect to the Irish, of course. It's, I have Irish blood myself. You can tweet to us. Yeah. Anyway, Murphy, 23, had just started teaching third grade. Oh, She'd left school an hour before and was running on Fiona's Way, which is named in memory of Fiona Pender, who was 25 and seven months pregnant when she disappeared in the area in 1996, a crime that's never been solved. The towpath is in an area called Cure, and it wasn't deserted. It's popular with walkers, runners, dog walkers, and cyclists in the town of 15,000. It was still light out as Murphy began her run in what would be considered a safe space. 
to go running in. Still, she was attacked and killed by a man who didn't know her right there in a public place during daylight hours. Murphy was born in the town of Blue Ball. Of- oh, <laughs> let's, get, let's get past that, okay? One of three children of Kathleen and Ray Murphy. She had a sister, Amy, and a brother, Cathal. She just started teaching in March 2021 after graduating from a Mary Immaculate College in Limerick. She was also a talented musician who played traditional Irish music on the fiddle and tin whistle. Not only were her parents musicians, her father played with the Fury Brothers and Best Foot Forward, and her mother was also described as a talented musician, but she herself also just had a deep talent and love for it. She'd been a featured musician at the Tullamore Trad Fest, and according to her fiddle teacher, Attractor Brady, she was among the top 5% fiddle players in the country. She loved a challenge and had recently bought a pair of Ulium pipes, considered one of the most difficult musical instruments to learn. In her spare time, she gave music lessons to area residents. She was also good at sports, including Carmogie, another thing I had to look up, which is played by girls and women and looks similar to lacrosse, as well as hurling, which is similar to field hockey. She was described by the Irish Times as a young woman who at 23 had already achieved many of her dreams, including a career that she loved. She had a boyfriend of five years, Ryan Casey, though she lived at home like the good Catholic girl that she was. She was energetic, but also known for her calm demeanor, the Irish Times said. Her students loved her for the patient way she would show them how to complete an assignment and never, quote, give out to them, which I had to look up, but it means to scold or complain to. Brady, the fiddle teacher, described her to the Irish Times as beautiful inside and out. Quote, she had such a happy disposition. She was always smiling. I never saw her cross or cranky or contrary. Always ready to help people. She always had a word for everybody around her. She was like a little light walking around. She had everything. It is beyond heartbreaking for everybody who knew her. Unquote. When Ashling was attacked, she fought back, Gard has said. Guard is the police, by the way, also referred to as the guards in this episode. She struck back at him with her keys, a self-defense move we've all learned as women. In this case, he still overpowered her. She was beaten and the cause of death was strangulation. Still, Garda said they were able to get the attacker's DNA because of her fighting back. Two women who were running on the other side of the canal saw the attack. They ran to the nearby home of Tommy Martin, who told reporters they arrived at his house in a distressed state. Quote, a young girl I know, she ran in and asked if she could use the phone. She said a girl was being assaulted on the canal line. She and a friend were out jogging. They had seen it happen. They had no phone. She made a call on the landline to the guard eye and she left, Martin said. Martin told the Irish Independent newspaper, I'm devastated. I'm here since 1979 and I've never seen anything like it. I'm gutted. She was doing everything right. Something has to be done regarding assaults on women. My heart goes out to the family. I have two daughters myself. It will take a long time to get the confidence back. The two women got a partial description of the attacker. Garda believed the man was a stranger to Ashling. The day after the attack, Garda Commissioner Drew Harris reassured the public that such crimes are relatively rare and Irish society in general is safe. In less than 24 hours, Garda arrested a 40-year-old man for the crime. Pretty fast, huh? The man was a longtime Tullamore resident and he was arrested, at least partly, on a description witnesses to the crime gave Garda. It's not clear from news reports if they said it was that guy or gave a description and the police deduced that it was him or what. 
The Irish Times wrote that based on the description given, the man's alleged involvement in previous assaults and dissatisfaction with his responses when they talked to him after the attack, he was taken in for formal questioning. He was detained under Section 4 of the Criminal Justice Act, which allows for 24 hours of questioning without charging the person. It's not a true 24 hours. It can be longer because breaks are not counted. The Irish That's Times, convenient. Yeah. The Irish Times says Section 4 is used to investigate major crimes. Someone brought in under Section 4 can be arrested without a warrant if Gardai, with reasonable cause, believe the person committed the offense. The arrest must also be necessary for the proper investigation of the offense. So they must have believed all that was solid, and they arrested him. Well, it turns out they got it wrong. Late on Thursday, January 13th, about 30 hours after the attack, they let him go. The Irish Times said the statement the guard issued regarding the arrest and subsequent release of the man was without precedent in the modern era. The statement said, this male has been eliminated from the Garda inquiries and is no longer a suspect. They asked editors to clearly and unambiguously state his lack of involvement in the crime Mm -hmm. in their stories. Wow. During two days of questioning, the Irish Times said, which actually would be one 24-hour period spread over a day and a half. Okay. The man vehemently denied any involvement in a crime that has shaken the public, unquote. The Irish Times said that at least one person close to the man told Gardai that they had been with him a long distance from the assault at the time it took place. However, it was the forensic evidence that confirmed his innocence. It is not unusual for people to be arrested and released without charge, Connor Lally of the Irish Times wrote in a January article. Indeed, it happens every day. Quote, prime suspects or those who may be withholding information or who are suspected of aiding a criminal are often arrested and released without charge on the Mm. same day or the following day. In some cases, they are later charged. In others, they are never charged, even though they may be arrested on several different occasions for questioning about (laughs) the same crime. Lally also wrote that it's also not unprecedented, though it is very unusual, for people to be arrested in connection with a murder only for Gardai to quickly realize they made a mistake. He said that usually the person is let go without any fanfare or police statements, but the publicity and anger following Ashling's murder made this one different. While the man was released and cleared within 24 hours of his arrest, the damage was done. His name and image were widely circulated on social media and in messaging apps. Apparently, WhatsApp seems to be very popular over there. Similar to when our landlady told us about Miriam Burns being killed by her son, <laughs> and everyone knew all about the son. It shows how flawed Ireland's privacy laws are. The man's solicitor, Donald Farrelly, told the Irish Independent that the man's life had been unbearable after he was identified online. Quote, doesn't this show the vital importance of the presumption of innocence? This is the most important thing to come out of this, and we have to keep that in our focus. It's a terrible tragedy what happened to this lady, what happened to her and her family, but this man has been vilified on social media, absolutely vilified. And everybody clearly identified who he was on social media, unquote. Farrelly added, it is dreadful the amount of hurt and anger and ire about him on social media. It's frightening, unquote. Ireland Independent called the man's release a shock development that came after officers had earlier said they were only looking for one individual in relation (laughs) to the attack. Three days after the attack, the scene on Grand Canal Way between Boland's Loch and Digby's (laughs) Bridge was still sealed and was still being investigated. 
On that same day, January 15th, Garter released a statement asking for information from the public from anyone who was near the towpath the afternoon of January 12th. Quote, did you see a man dressed in a black tracksuit top, no hood, black tracksuit bottoms with a large white stripe or white writing on the side and black runners? Did you see this man walking in the Tullamore area? Did you give a lift to this man on the evening of 12th January 2022? Did you notice this man loitering at any location or involved in any activity which drew your attention? Unquote. They asked that any member of the public who was on the Grand Canal Way on the morning or afternoon of January 12th between Digby's Bridge and Bailey Common to contact the investigation team, whether they thought they saw anything important or not. At the time, a man described by newspapers as the main suspect, the new main suspect, (laughs) was in a Dublin hospital being treated for self-inflicted injuries. Garda hadn't yet talked to him because he wasn't medically ready, but they planned to when he was discharged. Officers had also talked to his family members and and close associates in the hope of building up a full picture of this individual, they said. One difficulty I found with the privacy laws in Ireland and the UK is that it's difficult to get a good idea of what's going on in an investigation. Names aren't released and other possibly identifying information isn't either, leaving the press to tiptoe around things and write encoded terms that I had trouble deciphering, along with the passive, weird passive way they write anyways, I think it causes more problems than it solves. I can understand the point of not wanting to release someone's name, but so much other stuff. Too much speculation. And Yeah. Garda also said that significant progress was being made, but of course they couldn't confirm any details. Uh. They were also looking for a Falcon Storm mountain bike with straight handlebars and distinctive yellow-green front forks. A man riding such a bike had been seen in CCTV images from the area on the day and in the days leading up to the attack. But, they said in a statement on January 17th, they were now asking for people in Tullamore to think about Wednesday, the 12th of January, 2002, after 4 p.m., and not to confine their thoughts to the Falcon, <laughs> Falcon Storm mountain oh, bike. Oh, God. They're, they're asking a lot of people. I know. They also asked that anyone with video from the area on January 12th to contact them. And they warned against sharing rumors on social media and messaging apps such as WhatsApp. And Garda Shoshana... I think that's the official name of the police, and I know I'm pronouncing that last word wrong. That's part of this quote. Is aware and continues to be concerned about the activity of persons who are sharing information on social media, and in particular, private messaging apps, they said. Anne Garda Shoshana, I'm sorry, Ireland, appeals (laughs) to everyone to stop sharing these messages. Not only are they misinformed, inaccurate, and dangerous, they are unhelpful to the criminal investigation. If you have information which is relevant to this criminal investigation, you should contact the investigation team at Tullamore Garda Station with this information, unquote. I'm not blaming police, again, but everyone hates a vacuum. And the less information made public or when little tantalizing bits and pieces are, people are going to speculate because that's what people do. And they have social media and they're going to use it. Their appeal for witnesses did get a response that made a huge difference in the case, though. A woman told police she'd been followed by a guy on a similar bike earlier in the day that Ashling was killed. Of course, accounts of this don't say really what happened. Some say she was approached by him 
It doesn't say if he said anything to her, if she said anything to him or anything that happened. Meanwhile, a few days earlier on January 14th, after they'd released the innocent guy, Garda, as I said, had another chief suspect. The man who had arrived at Tullock University Hospital in Dublin, which is about 60 or so miles from Tullamore, with injuries. How many um, kilometers? <laughs> sorry. It, this was originally in kilometers, and I changed it to miles. I'm joking. I'm sorry. He had injuries that were suspicious, some of them serious. Some accounts said they were self-inflicted. Others gave the impression they weren't. I don't know which they were. Irish Times reporter Connor Lally later told News Talk Breakfast, he really had wounds that he wasn't able to explain. And when medical staff started talking to him, they very quickly established that he had links to the Tullamore area. Because of that, and because he had wounds that he wasn't able to explain, they called in the guards. And really, when the guards started doing their checks on him, he very quickly became a person of interest, unquote. Police checked the guy out, including searching property in Dublin and County Offaly, which is where Tullamore is, and seizing two cars, including the taxi he arrived at the hospital in. Ashling's funeral was held on January 18th, six days after her murder. During that time, the murder had set off what the New York Times called a storm of anger and shock across Ireland regarding women's safety. Vigils were held, speeches given, you know the drill. I say to all that, how is anyone surprised or shocked? You know, people are like goldfish in the bowl. Who Every time it swims by the castle, it's like, hey, look, there's a castle. Then totally forgets it until he swims by the castle again. Then it's, hey, look, mm-hmm. there's a castle. Yeah. As Kayleen Hogan wrote in The Guardian shortly after the murder, an outpouring of grief, but also of testimony in the wake of her death is forcing a collective reckoning with violence that is anything but random. Two weeks ago, a young woman in Dublin was assaulted and left with facial injuries. Two men have been charged. This Thursday marks one year since the fatal attack of Ernsteg Teshtorge, a mother of two and teacher from Mongolia, stabbed while walking home from work in Dublin. A teenage boy was charged with her murder, unquote. Mm. So, yeah, everyone should be angry, but no one should be surprised or shocked. Exactly. On January 18th, Ashling's funeral was held at St. Bridget's Church in her hometown. A line of her students in their little uniforms holding her photo stood outside with hundreds of other mourners. They were adorable. It was also attended by Irish President Michael D. Higgins and the Irish Prime Minister. I'm not even going to try to say the word. (laughs) The Irish word for Prime Minister spelled T-A-O-I-S-E-A-C-H. Michael Martin. A priest told the mourners that Ashling was lost in a depraved act violence. He said that act of violence also united the country. Bishop of Meath Tom Dinahan said at the funeral of the murder that it has questioned our attitudes and particularly our attitudes towards women. And mm. It has questioned our values and our morality. Whether those questions will be addressed or passed over remains to be seen. <coughs> Guess what I think. I but too. we cannot allow such violence and disregard for both human life and bodily integrity to take root in our time and culture. The same day as the funeral, the guy from the Dublin hospital, Joseph Puska, a Slovakian immigrant who lived in Mucklau, also in County Offaly, was arrested and charged with murder. When he was led into Tullamore District Court on January 19th, he was heckled and jeered by a large group hmm. standing outside, some who threw punches at him as he walked by. Huh. And later, when he was let out, uh, the, a group chased the guard vehicle down the street, yelling, and hitting it and stuff. 
Detective Sergeant David Scahill told the court that when Pusco was charged with the offense, he replied, no. It's not clear if he said it like, no, or no, or no. So none of the news stories elaborates on what this no meant, but they all said when he was charged, that's what he said. Hmm. I mean, it, you know, it all depends on how you say it, right? Yes. Yep. After that, Puska appeared in court at least seven times over the next few months with a variety of solicitors who frequently requested that in future hearings there be a Slovakian translator on yes. hand. But none of the stories elaborated on whether one was actually on hand at those or if the previous request had or had not been followed through. It seemed like every hearing, whoever the solicitor was requested that in the future they have a Slovakian translator. Maybe they had one, but it seemed like they had it if they had to keep asking. I wonder if they have to every time. Uh, Maybe. I don't know. They have bureaucratic reasons. They have weird laws. They have weird laws. (laughs) Finally, in April, Book of Evidence was Mm. completed and presented to Puska, and he gave it to his solicitor. I'm assuming that this is what it sounds like and details the charges against him and is apparently prepared by the Garda though none of the stories explain what it is. The Mm -hmm. judge, however, ordered it be translated into Slovakian for him. The judge, Victor Blake, also said that in district court, they can't deal with the question of bail on a murder charge. So Puska was being sent for trial in custody, which I assume means he's being held without bail. Blake, the judge, also gave him formal alibi caution, meaning that if he plans to rely on the defense of alibi, he must notify the state solicitor of any witnesses within 14 days, which seems seems a little rough. 14 days. His trial had been set for the next June. So obviously they they prepare for trial completely differently than we. It's a whole different system. Anyway, Ashling Murphy's murder seems to be the most publicized 2022 murder to have taken place in Ireland. You know, she was a beautiful, innocent young woman, savagely attacked in a public place, and all the hue and cry over violence against women. Uh, we have to do something, blah, blah, blah. Professor Mary McAuliffe, director of gender studies at University College Dublin, who researches violence against women, told the New York Times that Ashling's murder had aroused particular shock and outrage given the location and nature of the attack. It's not about being in the wrong place at the wrong time, McAuliffe said. As a woman, you are just coming home from work, going out, living your life, and every moment can be your last. And we all, we all know that. Yes. Our women yes. do. Men don't. A lot of that publicity came with horror that this type of thing could happen in quote unquote broad daylight. Mm-hmm. And I also think that there's a comfort for people when it's a random stranger attack. They don't have to talk about domestic abuse and violence, which, of course, is the majority of murder. It's particularly comforting to people when the perpetrator is from somewhere else. Mm. Not one of us. Yep. But us is actually the bigger danger to women. The wrong place at wrong time attitude implies that women who are killed by a male family member are doing something wrong. I can't imagine something more day to day than being in your own house. And yet most violence against women in Ireland and actually in the United States happens Mm -hmm. in the home, including murders. And almost all violence against women by strangers, as well as husband, exes, boyfriends, sons, and more, all come from the same root, sexism and misogyny. Mm. Normalization 
of those attitudes towards women. So yes, as McAuliffe points out, there is no place a woman is safe, particularly in her own home. That brings us back to Miriam Burns. Remember her? She's the woman who was killed in Killarney by her son in August, back when Liz and I were visiting there. Miriam Burns, 75, was last seen alive on Friday, August 12th, when she was seen cycling into town, part of her regular daily routine. Those who saw her said she was her usual happy, smiling self as she cycled and waved to people she knew. In fact, she was often called the smiling woman because she was so friendly and happy to everyone. On Monday, August 15th, her son, Shane, who lives in Australia, Mm. called neighbors because he couldn't reach her. Two neighbors, using a spare key, went to her home and found her blood-covered body lying in her living room. Guard, I believe she'd been dead for as long as a couple of days. She was beaten to death and an attempt had been made to strangle her. Mm. Police said they believe she'd been killed by someone who knew her. Among other things, there is no sign of forced entry or robbery. Mm. A story in the Sunday World said that Gardai received reports of multiple sightings of the suspected killer around Marion's home in the days before her death. Police believe Miriam, quote, may have been pestered by the chief suspect in the case, who, when problems arose because of the chaotic nature of his lifestyle, would often seek cash handouts from the kind-hearted grandmother, unquote. Mm. They also believe that in the past, when Marion refused to help him, he threatened her. Mm. Gardai had CCTV footage of the suspect around her home the weekend before the body was found aside from people seeing him there. Miriam was the mother of four, her son Shane, who lived in Australia, two daughters, Sharon and Natalie, who lived in Galway and Dublin, and then there was Billy. The Uh Irish Mirror reported on August 19th that Billy Burns, 51, of no fixed abode, Uh was remanded in custody with consent to bail on charges of unlawfully taking a car in Killarney and stealing 40 euros worth of fuel in Dublin back in October. The story identified him as the son of tragic Miriam Burns, Hmm. who'd been killed in Killarney, but danced around the fact he may be a suspect in her death. You know, that privacy stuff again. As I told you, by then, everyone in Killarney knew he was the top suspect in his mother's death. There were other reports about the investigation, including about the chief suspect, who newspapers didn't name, but strongly hinted (laughs) in roundabout ways that it was Billy Burns. (sighs) The Irish Mail on Sunday reported that he, the unnamed chief suspect, recently returned to the Killarney area after living in the UK for several months. Before he went to the UK, he'd been living in in rented accommodations, but since he'd come back, he'd been sleeping outdoors in Killarney National Park near Ross Castle, which coincidentally is one of the places Liz and I visited on August 21st, the day our landlady told us about the murder. The chief suspect accompanied Gardai, along with his lawyer, Padraig O'Connell, to the castle, where he showed them clothes hidden in a wishing well sometime the week after Miriam was found dead. How picturesque. I know. It was very picturesque. I have photos of it on. I'll put photos (laughs) on our social media of it. Gardai conducted an extensive search of the grounds and undergrowth near the area, and items found, including the clothes, were sent for forensic examination in Dublin. Billy, oh, I mean, the chief suspect (laughs) was released from custody when the time limit for questioning expired. News articles said that much of the focus of the investigation will be on DNA evidence and CCTV footage, as well as interviews. Quote, 
It's understood Guard High are happy with the way in which their investigation is proceeding, and they are confident of a breakthrough in the case in the near future, the Irish Independent reported. Okay. The Sunday World on August 21st had some details about the chief suspect, though, of course, they didn't name him or say what his relationship was with Miriam. A local source told the Sunday World, the general feeling locally would be one of shock, but no surprise. He was always seen as a bad lad and, (laughs) to be honest, a bit of a ticking time bomb. This guy was always one you would treat with a degree of caution. He was very much the black sheep of a very decent law-abiding family, unquote. Hmm. The same article went farther to paint a picture of the chief suspect, who, like I said, it didn't name but they made pretty clear who it was. The headline was murdered granny, Miriam Burns feared suspect would kill her. The article began tragic grandmother, Marion Burns lived for years in fear that she would be killed by the chief suspect for her brutal murder. Close mm. friends revealed yesterday. Ah. I like the way they use tragic now as an adjective I, for I, things like that. I have like, a question. If yeah. one of us were killed, what would they call it? They wouldn't be able to call us grandma. I guess they could call me mother. You've touched on one of my pet peeves now that (laughs) you've brought it up. Is that women of a certain age who are grandmothers, no matter how relevant it is to a story, all over the world and frequently in the U.S. are referred to as grandmother in headlines and stories where you never see men referred to as grandfather unless it's somehow relevant to the story. Well, even mothers are too. Right. Like young mother. Blah, right. Blah, blah. And anyway, they also call her pensioner. Although I know that that's like a British and I guess Irish uh, way to say old person or retiree. Mm-hmm. The article said that Miriam had appealed for help so she could feel safe in her home. Quote, but heartbroken friends say her appeals were not taken seriously and they are convinced her life would have been saved if more was done to protect her. One close friend said, Marion told me years ago that she knew the suspect was going to kill her. Mm. This friend, to whom the tragic pensioner confided her worst fears, told the mail on Sunday, I was not the only one she told. She was living in fear of her life for years. She knew her life was in danger every day of the week, and people in the system knew it too. The system let her down. Another friend told the mail on Sunday, Miriam raised her four children by herself. She was a lovely person and she had the most lovely smile. You would never know she was under the pressure she was under. She did talk to her friends, but for the most part, she kept her problems to herself. And if you Hmm. saw her smiling as she went down the street, you wouldn't think she had the problems she had. She had a constant nightmare of a time with the person she felt threatened by. Her door was always open to this person and she never refused them anything. Hmm. So as of this point, it doesn't appear as though they've arrested and charged Billy Burns yet. I could find no stories after early September. And that's another thing. It must be similar. I didn't look it up, but the laws must be similar in Ireland as they are in the UK that they get to some point and you can't have all these stories like who is this guy and what's his life about and what's the history of this. On September 4th, a few weeks after Miriam Burns was killed, And by this time, Liz and I were in Scotland, but we were still, you know, getting the news on our phones and stuff. Lisa Cash, 18, and her siblings, twins Christy and Chelsea Colley, 8, were stabbed to death or hacked to death with a machete, depending on what story you read, at their home in Tallach. It's either part of Dublin or near Dublin. A 14-year-old brother escaped by jumping out the window and running to get help. 
Neighbors reported hearing screaming coming from the house shortly after midnight. One man told a reporter that before police arrived, they heard a woman shouting, help me, help me, and the sound of a window smashing. Mm. Another neighbor told the Irish Times, I came out and there was just guards everywhere screaming, get down, get down, get down. They were shouting about the windows in the house, top right, top left. Then all I heard was the baby, the baby. The attacker, you may ask? The trio's 24-year-old brother, Andrew. Mm. He was arrested and charged after a brief standoff with police. He replied no comment to each of the three murder charges during a special sitting of the Dublin District Court on Monday, September 5th. And for those of you who aren't aware, no comment is a standard reply. That means you're not going to answer police questions or charges mm-hmm. in Ireland and the UK. Yes. I, I know that may confuse Americans who don't watch a lot of British TV. I know. A request for psychological assessment of Andrew Cash was permitted. He was remanded into custody and appeared again September 9th via video link, but no other information that I can see has been available since, including whether there have been any problems with him before the murders. So that's another story that That raised... would be interesting to know, yeah. There were a lot of stories about this, but very little information. Both Miriam Burns and the Cash Calling siblings murdered got some press but nothing like the outpouring for Ashling Murphy. As with a lot of this changes everything type cases, it seems like all the hyperbole surrounding Ashling Murphy's death was just that. Hyperbole Mm -hmm. made in the comfort of a random murder by a guy from somewhere else. Everyone can be self-righteously angry and offended and say things are going to change without realizing that the biggest problems have been there all along, Mm -hmm. right below their nose, and remain there. Also, one of the problems with their privacy laws is it keeps people from understanding these murders, particularly the domestic violence ones, from recognizing red flags. You have to talk about how these people have behaved in the past, like the general things about Miriam Burns' son and her going for help and not getting it. I want to know specifics about that. Yeah, like how... Did she go to help? And I want to know about Andrew Cash and what he was like and what red flags people miss there. Because as everybody from Gavin DeBecker to Laura Richards says, nobody just snaps. It's that people miss the red flags. This past September, a Garda review of crime trends regarding domestic, sexual and gender based violence in Ireland found that the majority of murders in 2021 in Ireland had a domestic abuse motivation. Mm Sexual offenses involving domestic abuse also increased fourfold in the past year. And of course, women are more likely to be targeted in a residential setting, the review found. In 2021, there were 25 murders recorded in Ireland, a country of 5 million people. So that's a pretty good rate. I mean, Maine has maybe that many or a little less, and yet Maine is 1.3 million So that's a pretty good rate. 13 of those were linked to domestic abuse, Mm -hmm. the review found, so more than half. In 2021, there were also 817 sex crimes with a domestic abuse motivation reported, and that was compared to 205 the year before. So that's like a 400% increase. On average, Garde responded to between 120 and 150 domestic abuse incidents every day, with 37,435 reported by the time the report came out in September. In all assaults, 84% of all assaults, female victims knew the perpetrator. 
this is not just sexual. This is any assault compared to 61% of male victims knowing wow. the perpetrator when they're assaulted. The Independent reported that Sarah Parsons, principal officer with the Garda Analysis Service, said that domestic abuse had spiked during COVID-19 lockdowns, yeah. but added that it's striking that the incidents have continued at a higher level following the easing of restrictions, unlike other crimes, which decreased. She told the Irish Independent it could be related to an increase in reporting rates and that they want people to come forward and report crimes. I wasn't able to find stats on how many murders there have been in Ireland so far in 2022, but there have been at least a few that come under that category that I talked about. Miriam Burns, Lisa Cash, and her siblings are all domestic, even though it was a son in one case and a brother in the other. So there are really two issues, normalization of violence against women and the shock when someone like Ashley Murphy is killed by a stranger and the seeming disconnect when a woman is killed in a domestic violence murder. But they're really the same thing, the two different types of murder. They stem from misogyny and not taking crimes against women seriously and have their roots in casual sexism and way women are treated. Orla O'Connor, director of the National Women's Council of Ireland, said after Ashling was killed, the killing of Ashling Murphy in broad daylight while out jogging highlighted to us all that there is no behavior that women can change to make us safer and that it is men's behavior and yeah. ultimately our culture that must transform. McAuliffe, the professor, told the New York Times that Irish feminism has made great strides in the past 50 years in the workplace, reproductive rights, and access to divorce, but a mis misogynistic culture of harassment, rape, and violence still endures. She added, there is legislation against hate crimes like racism, homophobia, transgender discrimination, and sectarianism, but misogyny is a gray area. There's a continuum with street harassment at one end and rape and lethal violence at the other end, end quote. The Irish Minister for Justice, Helen McEntee, said in Parliament that she would press for new laws to outlaw gender-based hatred and for an increase in funding for women's shelters and other measures to protect women against violent abuse. She said the effort should also be made to educate men and boys to understand and change their behavior. Quote, to prevent violence and abuse against women, we must educate the social and cultural attitudes which make women feel unsafe. We can only do so by changing our culture to ensure we are not all bystanders, that we don't just look the other way, but call out inappropriate behavior when we see it everywhere we see it. The workplace, the dressing room, the pub, the golf club, and the WhatsApp group, unquote. Mm. We often hear people sneer or make excuses when someone complains about sexism, but that's where it all starts, how we regard women and how we talk about them and the laws about them and policies and everything else. It's obviously not just in Ireland. Here's a U.S. example that has me pissed off, one of many. I was reading an article in the Boston Globe a couple weeks ago about a supervisor on some job, I think it was the public transit, but I can't remember, who told a female on his staff if she didn't do some task he'd asked her to do, he'd rape her. She sued him for that, and now it's in court. And in his defense, he said he really wasn't going to rape her. It was just Hyper oh, he was just saying it. Yeah. Yeah. He said it was just hyperbole. Now, how is that okay, even as hyperbole? I know. You know, whether it's in a work setting or not, to say you'll rape someone. If anyone <laughs> thinks arguing it's hyperbole, so it's not that bad, is okay, then it just shows how far we still have to go to get at the roots of sexism, misogyny, and violence against women in this country. 
It makes me think of how when Texas passed its mind-numbing abortion law a while Mm. back, which doesn't even allow abortions in the case of rape, Texas Governor Greg Abbott said that they were going to eliminate rape. All (laughs) right. Does anyone see the irony of the misogyny behind the law, yet they think they can eliminate rape? Until people start understanding all the issues and attitudes that have a negative impact on women, as well as normalizing violence, then we're going to get nowhere. Overt violence has its roots and attitudes towards women, not only reproductive rights, but things like laws about revenge porn, which is often dismissed and open to victim blaming. And those laws are extremely difficult to get passed and often end up being joked about. Most of the victims are women. Even issues such as pay equity, sports equity, and more all help normalize negative attitudes toward women. Men think they're entitled to get away with their behavior because no one calls them on it or they see signs that it's okay. We talked about this a lot during the Montreal shooting episode. Yes. I can't remember what number that was sometime in the past year. I saw an article when I was researching all this about how being more flexible with bathrooms because of gender, more recognition of gender um, fluidity has led to fewer safe spaces for women and is responsible for attacks on women. Of course, it didn't have any stats to back it up. And I think that's ridiculous. How many attacks on women take place in a public restroom by someone who's, who's also allowed to be in there? Things like this are a smokescreen for the real issue that men have to get involved in calling out sexism and misogyny, something most of them don't like doing. But here's a good start. I'll end on a positive note for a change. A couple of years ago, a group of middle school boys in Rhode Island didn't like the way their male teacher was treating female students. I get the impression that this started when they were doing virtual classes during COVID. They were in sixth grade at the time. The teacher would make the girls dance, comment on their appearances, give them nicknames, tell them to wear swimsuits on camera, and other things. Yes, and other things. When the girls complained, he gaslighted them. He told one person, it's not clear who, I've been here for 30 years, who who are they going to believe, me or you? No one in the administration seemed to listen or care. Ah. So the boys started what they called a pedo database as a subchannel on Discord. Whenever one of them saw something, they document it. When they moved on to higher a higher grade, they told the new boys after they left about it, and the next class began Aww. doing it too. This year, the teacher, aside from this database, which the boys were keeping private among themselves, the teacher got in trouble for inappropriate behavior with a student and was suspended without pay. One of the boys' mothers mentioned it to him and said, I think she was, she might've been, I don't think she was on the school board. She might've been on the teacher parent organization or something. Said the school was looking for other people who had had experiences with this teacher. And the boy said, well, as a matter of fact, and they brought their database to the school's attention. I give them credit for recognizing bad male behavior as men. And I think that's a good start. And that just needs to be all the men in the world. have. And I think that if somebody's listening and thinks, well, why didn't they bring it forward before their kids? Well, actually, one of the boys said, and I think he was a little off with this, but it's the same reason he didn't say this part. But my feeling is it's the same reason girls don't complain. He said, well, if the girls really complained, they do something. But we're a bunch of boys. Who's going to believe boys complaining about the way a teacher treats girls? And he's right. I think he's 
kind of missing the point that girls who complain are listened to because this guy's been getting away with it for 30 years and he did something pretty overt, which I'm sorry, I can't even remember what it is now, to get caught that had nothing to do with their database. And the thing is, kids, I think a lot of times it doesn't even occur to kids to tell an adult. Like even when we were in school, I remember, or we've talked about it, but a fellow student at least one was quote having an affair with a teacher because yeah. we were like 16 or 17 and you didn't I mean maybe yeah. nowadays it would occur to someone this was in you know 19 there were teachers when 80s. we were when we were in high school there were male teachers who were really rude and yes sexual they were girls gross. and it, granted you it was a different time them. and by saying it's a different time it's like yes we were less inclined to complain but you know there's a reason people don't complain But as far as Ireland is concerned, I guess my point, my point is in January, everybody was all up in arms about Ashley Murphy, which they should have been and talking about how attitudes towards women have to change and stuff. Yet these domestic violence murders are just considered something different, I guess. And nobody understands it's the same problem. And I also think that their privacy laws and the way these are reported hurt people's understanding of it overall because nobody's talking about recognizing red flags or what violence because you don't even know you don't even know who did it so how can you or or that it was a family member or even with andrew cash and stuff like that nobody's talking about or billy burns what the history of that is and how there's a lot of behavior by men that's given a pass and overlooked until it results in a woman being dead or her. And like you said, though, about, about Ashling, it's in the middle of the day, you know, you can sit there and tell women, you know, be careful if you go out at night, which, and I'm not saying that it should be our responsibility. Like Laura Richards recently said, well, no, she didn't recently say why, yeah, why don't they put a curfew on men? Yeah. Why don't they're the ones causing the problems? Men are the problem, not women. Well, and I think that's a point a lot of people were making with this, but the thing is, what was that guy doing that he was getting away with? Yeah. We don't know. And we may never know because the way these are reported, how was he behaving that women should have been able to complain about and maybe felt they couldn't. He was obviously being squirrely out there on the towpath with his bike. Yes. But uh, women were probably, it reminds me of that video that Laura Richards put on her Twitter a while back of a bunch of boys on bicycles. Yes. And I think it was in Dublin or somewhere like that, mm-hmm. swarming these girls who are getting off the train and insulting them and the girls were just trying to scurry away and get away from them yeah like we we both take walks there's a lot of times i'm on a walking path and there's there's certain walking paths i don't go on anymore because there's always weird people hanging around and you're like are they just weird or right. are they, I mean, why is that guy standing around on the walking path? Or right. why is that guy always hanging why around that, smoking a cigarette? Right. And- I went on a ride the other day and there were a couple like boat landings I wanted to stop at to get pictures of foliage, you know, reflected on the water. But at, at least two of them, there's some guy just sitting there in a pickup truck smoking a cigarette. And I'm like, I'm not going to be the only one at this boat landing and the middle of central Maine when nobody's around when there's a guy sitting there in a pickup truck smoking a cigarette. 
you know, try to people give people the benefit of the doubt. And I'm not overly like anxious about things like that, but But I'm also trust. You don't know, but I'm also as a, as a woman, not gonna get out of my car when me and this guy sitting in a pickup truck, smoking a cigarette are the only people I know around and it's woods and water and that's it. And that's too bad. It's too bad for us. And I'm not even saying the guy's smoking it just because the guy's sitting in his pickup truck <laughs> at a boat landing, smoking a cigarette with no boat trailer attached to the pickup truck <laughs> or anything. It's doing anything wrong. But if I did get out and something happened, people would be like, well, what was she thinking? I know. To get out of her car at a boat landing. Why is she driving around alone and getting out of her car right. in the middle of nowhere? Right. But anyway, so that's my well, thank my you. story. Hey, but so do you have an NNW? Yes, I do. (laughs) So this is a Netflix show that's, I don't know, pretty recent called I Just Killed My Dad. Oh, uh, did you get any tips from it? No, it's from director Sky Borgman, who did Abducted in Plain Sight. So it's about this kid in Baton Rouge, Anthony Template who shoots his dad, his father, you know, anyone can be a father, but (laughs) not everyone can be a dad. You find out pretty quick. His father's a fucking control freak, fucked up piece of shit. Anthony gets charged with murder because his father was attacking him, but he could have gotten away and he had two guns and he shot his father and killed him. You have to watch the whole thing. I'm not going to spoil it and tell you what happens, Mm. but he was, I think almost 18 at the time. So I think they charged him as an adult because he did get charged. I think in Louisiana, if you get charged with murder and maybe it has to do with his age, but he went into the adult system. So let me go through it. Bad reenactments. I'm not taking anything off. There were some, but they're very, those vague kind that just show like back of a person and stuff and the uh creepy father Bert his name was Bert he had like cameras all over the house that he could watch people and so they had a so video although they did show the same video over and over and maybe director didn't have access well isn't that a different category maybe narrative cliches i'm taking half off because it's just the same thing that a lot of them uh, have with the uh, not yeah. a lot not a lot uh, i'm getting tired of that of, though showing them sitting down in the chair and putting the mic on and racial gender obtuseness no and there's no narrator so there can't really be narrative cliches sorry i went back to number two there i forgot to tell you there's no narrator it's just the people telling right. the stories which is better Lack of good visuals. I'm not going to take anything off for that. Like I said, they've got a video from the the spy cameras and they show a lot of, you know, overviews and stuff. There's a lot of interviewing with Anthony himself at different times. You know, I'm not going to say they were great, but they weren't bad. Missing pieces. I'm taking a half a point off because... I would have liked to have seen a little bit more. I mean, it's pretty recent when it might have ended at the beginning of 2022. So, but I would have liked to see what happened to him, what he's doing now. The kid, obviously the dad's dead. So Mm. his father kidnapped him from his mother. If you watch it, you'll figure, you'll see what happens. But he didn't let him go to school because he was afraid he was going to get 
discovered. He had a stepmother who they interview who she's like, when he said he was, he told me his kid was homeschooled. He was actually had no school. He mm. didn't know how to, he didn't know how to read. He didn't know anything. So he had wow. to work. And he seems like a very intelligent young man. If you met him and spoke to him, you wouldn't know that he had a horrible education. So so I'm taking half a point off because I would have liked to see more of the ending. Like, is he going to be okay? Because especially when you're watching something like this with someone that young, you want to know, well, how is he going to turn out? I hope he's going right. to be okay. Inaccuracy, anachronisms, no. Storytelling, again, taking half a point off. There's a lot of interviews. It was three episodes, but I feel like there wasn't a lot of information. I would have liked to see more. There was like a woman that worked with Anthony. He didn't have many friends outside, but his father got him a job, but like he had a job, but his father had this GPS thing on him. If he'd call Anthony's boss, who he knew, Bert, it was his friend that owned some greenhouse or something. And Bert said, can you get my son a job? And the guy's like, I guess you know, if I meet him and stuff, but what, while the kid was working, he'd call and be like, I notice he hasn't moved in the last half hour. What is he doing? And wow. Like that. That is I mean, he was really, really controlling the supervisor's like, well, he's been watering the plants over here or, or doing repotting or something. It's like, right. and wow. she was the only one that I felt I wish there were more outside people. Like there was one guy that had been a friend of Bert's that didn't realize what Bert was really like. And then there was this woman that worked with AJ and there had to be like someone I like, I would have liked to see more people like that from the outside of the situation just for more perspective. So I'm taking half a point off freshness, uh, not taking anything off. I had never heard of it. And it is an interesting case. Repetition, no. They show a couple pictures and that couple clips of film over and over, but it's okay. It didn't bother me. Beating the drum, I'll say no. It could have. I felt like it could have beat the drum. It could have gone a lot of different ways. Like the prosecutor at first, I think they do a good job with her because at the beginning, she's like, I don't, couldn't get him. He had no affect. Well, he had no remorse, blah, blah, blah. But then by the end, she's a lot more understanding right. of what he went through. And I feel like I might be just my sexism coming through, but I feel like the fact that she was a woman, although there are some women prosecutors that aren't like this, but it made her more open to um, seeing more diff- empathetic. Yes. Yeah. She was a very empathetic woman, but she, she was tough. And then his defense attorney was very interesting. He talked about his childhood. I thought that was interesting. And he did the case for free. He's kind of cocky, but overall, he seemed like a good guy. Did he have a no. ponytail? No, he didn't have a ponytail. <laughs> he had a really interesting childhood too. It could have had a little more meat to it, but I'm giving it an eight and a half. And I think oh, it was pretty good. Good, I'll watch um, it. I think no. you'll enjoy it. What streaming? It's supposed- on Netflix. Oh, okay. I worked with somebody that didn't look like him at all, but the way he talks, maybe that's why I kind of liked him. The way he talks and his affect was similar to somebody I worked with who also had had a bad you can't judge somebody because if he was taken away, he was probably like seven or and eight. Can't. And they do have his mom and <laughs> his mom and his aunt Becky and his grandma. The nice thing about it is these are people, they're all from rural Texas, East Texas, I think. They're poor and stuff. You could easily kind of exploit the fact that they're poor 
And it's not, it's very, I, I found them, her, his mother, his biological mother to be a very, she seemed like a really nice woman. She'd had a hard life. She had been looking for him for 11 years. Wow. And she got no help. And you'll see, it's very, very annoying. She had custody of him. The father, Bert, somehow got the Louisiana police and a judge to get get him custody. And he went and took the kid. That sucks. The mom was poor and she used up all her money. She couldn't keep fighting because she didn't have the money. And it was just, it was heartbreaking. And I feel like maybe they'll have a relationship, but... I don't know. So I thought overall it was pretty good. I just would, I wanted to see a little bit more. So I would recommend it though. Oh, good. It amazes me how fucked up some people are. And that guy, Bert, not only was he fucked up, but this is another example of systemic misogyny where he had been in jail for six months for domestic violence And this was only within the last 20 years. And still the Louisiana court just believed everything he said and he got custody. He was an engineer, so he had a good job. He made good money, but he was also a cokehead and an alcoholic and he was fucking crazy. Yeah, I'll have to watch it. Yeah, I was. It's pretty quick. It's like three, like 45 minute episodes, maybe less. I was I was familiar slightly familiar with the case like i remembered it so every time i'd see that when i was looking for something to watch i'm like yeah i don't know if i want to watch it but now that you've done your thing it sounds good like but i had to watch it a second time i hadn't remembered a lot yeah i try to do that when i do an nnw now is to watch it more than once i really felt for that kid it's easy to say oh he shot his father oh he obviously meant to murder him and it's like yeah when you're in a situation like i mean he wasn't as bad as the turpin kids because he did have some outside access but everything in his life was controlled i think sometimes you don't even realize you can escape right i mean where would he have gone if he escaped exactly that's part of that's what he said too he said the police would have just brought me back to my dad he's like every time they came the police came to the house many times that's part of what coercive control is to not give the other person options Yeah. And he saw over his lifetime that every time the police came for one reason or another, Bert would talk to them. They would be Mm -hmm. like, okay. And then they would leave. And he said, I saw that they weren't going to do anything. The thing that made Bert go off the rails, you'll find out right at the beginning, is the his wife, who was AJ's stepmother, left because she couldn't stand him anymore. So he started drinking and going up. The father started drinking and going off the rails because he, you know, he's losing control. And she said in her interview that she posted the was it the divorce or decree or or maybe it was just like she took an order of protection out against him and she posted it on the next door app so all their neighbors knew what yeah. he'd been doing uh, i fun. thought that was funny yeah because next yeah. door is pretty funny okay Thank well we you. probably wrap things up okay then. i'm doing it next time i haven't yep. figured out what i'm doing yet, well but. we're going to be back on track back on schedule we yeah. once we as always thank our supporters for sticking thank with you, us all you and patient all our listeners. People. We love you. You can see us on social media. Yeah. I'll try Twitter. I'm on Twitter more. I try to go on Instagram. I don't know why I can't do it. I've been doing a little Instagram, but I'll, I guess I I'll do more. I, I I, I, maybe I should just do the Instagram because I go on with my own accounts. I am my personal account. Mm. Then I am my World Cities of Maine account. Yes. Where I take I like pictures one. of cities in Maine 
like Rome and Paris and Athens and Belgrade and Troy, Troy. that are named after well, famous what did I just world go cities. Through? And I was like, oh, I got to tell Mo. And, and I, I am Moscow. Remember. Check it out, guys. It's World Cities of Maine. It's not necessarily great. <laughs> you know, artistic photos, but you can see a little bit of what these main towns that are named after the great cities of the world look like. It's just something that's always interested me. So I, Vienna. Vienna. The one in what about Austria. Calais? Calais. Calais. The one in Austria is Vienna. No, Vienna. It's Vienna. The, I get mixed yeah. up now. The one in Maine is Vienna. Vienna, yes. And then, and in, yeah, there's Calais. Yes, I have Calais on there, which is Calais in France. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I have a lot of them because people keep saying to me, what about this? And I said, yes, it's either on there or it's on my list. I've I've gone through my main atlas and gazetteer and checked off every city. And then people say, you know, what about China, Maine? And what about Norway, Maine? And I'm like, those are not cities. She has to do all the cities first, people. Yeah. And I also have like a UK subset like with Leeds and Cambridge and um Oxford and um my ex-husband Gordon always wanted to go to Dogtown Maine because of the name and I'm like that's not like there's just a bunch of dogs (laughs) living there where is that where is Dogtown I believe it is up in Arista County northeast I don't know it's like in the north you have to look it up anyway I think that's it for now right yeah I'm tired. So good night, everybody. Good night. Thanks for listening. Thank you. Investigated the department. (laughs) What? What? I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm going to put her outside. She just jumped on me. What's that for us? I'm going to throw her out. Okay. Yeah, throw her out. Kabibi, you go outside now. Poor Kabibi. Oh, okay, be a good girl. Then be a good girl. Yeah, like she's going to be a good girl. She's a cat. She doesn't even know what you're saying. Yeah, she does. Okay, she I'm going to start me. that. Okay, I'm sorry. I'm so sorry. Okay, no, you're not. But anyway, <laughs> ready? Uh, yes. Oh, you were so good until a minute ago. She knew it was my turn. Oh, what a good girl. She's like, it's my turn. She's like, time for my close-up, Mr. DeMille.